0: All right, Pet Chat, here we go, and if you look through our webcam, you know that we're not in our main studio due to some refurbs going on there. Uh, all of us have squeezed into our second studio. Firstly, Cheryl Shaw good afternoon to you.
1: Good afternoon, Mark.
0: Now, we're on broach watch, so what have yep. you got on today?
1: Oh, I've right. got a very rare frog. He's on the endangered list, the southern corroboree frog.
0: Well, there's one lesser, around you wearing him on your shirt. Oh,
1: well, he's part of a series that I've got. He's not real, but he's he's there as an awareness to make sure that people are uh, looking out for endangered species. So we're going to be talking about the frog count.
0: And not to be left out, Dr. Kimberly Earle, we've got you here to answer all of those vet questions. I know you're ready on 49216216 today.
2: Good morning. How are you?
0: No, it's not morning. Oh, no. afternoon. <laughs> Right, well... That's where I'm at. See, that's where she'll be a little bit behind on those questions today, but we'll eventually get the right advice for you. And g'day, Emma at Metford. You've got a couple of dogs that aren't really good at eating at the moment. What's happening?
3: Oh, hi, yeah. Um, So I'm just wondering if it's normal. I have two dogs and sporadically every kind of week or two, they will just not eat for like two days, sometimes even three. They just won't eat at all. Okay. Um, they don't lose weight. It's not like they're dropping yep. weight, and it's not like they're they they, they see themselves. So I'm just curious. Is it normal for dogs to sometimes just not eat?
2: Yeah, it, it certainly can be. Um, I think it depends a lot on the on the individual dogs and whether or not they see each other as competition for food. Um, it probably depends on their body condition a little bit and whether or not they're, you know, pretty lean dogs or whether they're maybe um, a little on the heavier side. Um, but, you know, dogs in the wild are gorge feeders. So they will, you know, hunt something, they will gorge themselves until they're fully sated and then they'll probably hold off for a couple of days until they're hungry enough to make it worth their while to, you know, get up the exercise and do it again. Um, And so we will certainly see dogs that will, you know, there are dogs around who will not leave anything behind ever. And then you have other dogs who, you know, who are just a bit, I'm not that hungry. I haven't done that much. Um, Certainly if the temperature increases, some dogs will go off their food a bit. And we have had some warmer days recently, so that's not uncommon. Um, My own golden retriever had a play date last week with a friend while I went away for a couple nights. Um, And when she came back, there was nothing that was different to her diet or her food but I think because she didn't have the competition and she was probably a little bit more tired she wasn't exercising as much um, as she had been while she was playing Um, and it took her about three days to sort of be eating her regular amount of food she sort of dropped down to about half of her normal amount of food Um, so you know I think if the dogs aren't vomiting if they're not sick if they're still bright and happy and playful and doing all those sorts of things I wouldn't get too worked up about it.
3: Oh, okay. Well, that kind of makes sense because after they finish their two, three days of just not eating, they will tend to now want to eat everything. Yeah, yeah. Another two or three days, everything inside, and then they'll go for another couple of days without eating. So um, I just always thought that dogs just, are known for just wanting to eat every single thing in sight. So <laughs> some, <I'm... laughs>
2: some dogs certainly are, but not every dog. It's not a. It's not sort of across the board that way. Um, you know, you can probably even out, if it if it worries you, you could probably even out their meals by feeding them smaller amounts when they are eating, um, you know, so that they're always just that little bit hungry that we're never, yeah. you know, getting them to their, like, really, really full point. Um, and then they'll probably even out a little bit. But if they're young, healthy dogs and they're not, you know, seeming to have any other um, medical issues, I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, no, thank you so much. You're very welcome.
0: All the best with that, Emma. I'll tell you what, ladies, those dogs kind of sound a bit like animals after my own heart, eating as much as you can, gorge, gorge. (laughs) Of course, minus the not eating again for a couple of days, though.
2: Yeah. Listen, I always have people or I frequently have people who will say, oh, my dog's such a picky eater. And what I do have to tell clients is there's no such thing as a picky eater who's a fat dog, but there are plenty (laughs) of picky eaters who are skinny dogs. So if your dog is fat or your your vet has told you that they need to lose some weight and you're saying, oh, but he hardly eats anything. He's a really picky eater. That just means your dog is full all the time and you're feeding him way too much. You need to give him less food and make him more hungry.
0: (laughs) All right, we're all taking that advice on board. Don't you worry, Kimberly. Now, while you're here, it looks like you are going to have to break a tiebreaker here because we welcome Emily at Warners Bay. You've been getting a couple of different diagnoses for your dog, Emily.
2: Yes. Okay, so tell me a little bit about your dog. What kind of dog have you got?
3: I have an American
2: chocolate lab. Okay. And it says here that uh, the dog's been diagnosed by one vet as having pododermatitis, but another vet is disputing that diagnosis.
3: Yes. So yeah. originally at my normal vet, she yep. had a dermatitis diagnosis. Sure. And I took her to an actual veterinarian hospital. they vet explained well, my groomer initially picked up on the pododermatitis
2: mm-hmm.
3: diagnosis. Yep. And then I went to this veterinarian hospital and I said, well, she does actually, in fact, have more signs of pododermatitis. She doesn't have the traditional signs of dermatitis.
2: Mm. So, I mean, pododermatitis itself isn't really a diagnosis. Pododermatitis just basically means inflammation of the skin of the feet. Mm. There are lots of different causes for pododermatitis, and to actually get a diagnosis, you'd probably need to like have gone right down the track of getting skin biopsies of the foot pads mm. and things like that. We know that pododermatitis comes up for a number of different reasons and we will see it for dogs or with dogs um, that have food allergies, we'll see it if they have sometimes skin allergies or contact allergies we can see it if they've had um, chronic mite infestations occasionally you'll see um, demodectic mange in the feet that looks like a lot like pododermatitis and, and like I said pododermatitis is just a, a name for what the symptoms we're seeing, we're seeing inflammation yeah. of the skin of the feet and that typically looks like um, red inflamed moist You know, sort of skin. Often you see those dogs have the brown staining because they've been licking.
3: Has, yep. On top of that, she has a fungal and in yeast infection on her feet.
2: Yeah. And so that's that's the cause. So the cause of the pododermatitis is the, is the bacterial and fungal infection or the yeast um, and fungal infection. Um, but there may actually be an underlying cause. That might actually be the secondary reason. So if you have a dog, say, so I've had a dog previously who had um, a food allergy and she couldn't have anything that was chicken related. And as soon as she had chicken, thanks mom, um, then she would flare up. Her feet would get really red and inflamed. Her Belly would get red and inflamed, and her ears would get red and inflamed, and she would develop a secondary infection because her body, her immune system is so busy being angry about the fact that she's had chicken that those normal sort of yeast and bacterial um, organisms on the skin would get a foothold and they would create an infection. So, I don't know that it's necessarily that um, that we need to be disputing. I think it's quite possible that your dog has clinical signs of protodermatitis. We may just not be right to the, the basis of what is causing it, where that is coming from. Is it just that the dog has had wet feet? We've had lots of moisture around, and dogs whose feet stay wet, they, um, the, the yeast like to have that warm, moist environment, and you can certainly get dogs that will just get a secondary infection to that. But then we can have a lot more um, in-depth things where you can get dogs that will have an underlying um, allergic disorder or an underlying immune, autoimmune disorder, and that can cause problems as well.
3: Okay. Because I've also had – the vet has put her on – royal, she have suggested royal Canon energetic, but the issue is the cost for that food is so high and mm. I, I can't afford it. Yeah. And they've now put her on her, late, her current food leading-inch raw on the senior food because apparently it's more sensitive and it's as close as I can get to my price
2: range. Yeah. So the, the allergenic food is what we would do for a food trial to try to work out if your dog's um, underlying problem is a food-related allergy. Um, and it's really expensive food, but it is quite good. And if you can if you can do it for a short period of time, because food allergies are not that common in dogs, um, they're sort of our, our third or our least most common sort of reason for common skin allergies. Um, if, you can, if you can afford to do that for like a 10 to 12-week period of time, and you quite possibly will be able to rule out food allergy as being an issue. Um- but if you have a dog who's got food allergies then you can control it by f- controlling what they've got access to and then you don't have to keep going back to the vet and getting antibiotics and creams and washes and things like that so it, it's not a perfect solution there are pl- um, other sort of novel protein diets you could try and I would talk to um, your vet about that where where you're looking it's almost always proteins that dogs are allergic to so not the not the grain component of the diet that's a bit of a furfy, um, but the protein component but a novel protein diet would be a diet that has a protein source your dog's never had access to before. So something like crocodile or kangaroo if you've never given them kangaroo jerkies or anything like that. And that can work for a food trial as well. So um, have a chat with your with your regular vet that you trust um, and see if they can work something out that way because it's definitely worth doing a food trial if your dog's having recurrent issues with her feet.
0: And g'day, Karen, at Soldier's Point. Your Maltese Shih Tzu is um, having some troubles just doing just that.
2: She is. It gets badly constipated, just little tiny rocks okay, and this has been going on for a while. yeah, I don't know how to fix it yeah, so I mean most um chronic constipation is related to dietary um, what's going into the dog and uh, probably related to how much water they're drinking as well. Do you feed your dog any bones?
3: I do occasionally, and i uh, she she doesn't drink very much at all, really. Mm. Though.
2: Okay. So one of the first things that I would say is that bones almost always, uh, no, I shouldn't say that. They don't almost always cause constipation. One of the big uh, problems that we see with bones is that they frequently cause constipation. So um, if you can imagine that they chew up the bones, they chew up the marrow, and as it's coming through, um, it sucks up a lot of water and it actually can become very like hard and concrete in okay. the bowel. Um, and it's one of the number one um, things that's implicated in in constipation episodes in dogs. Um, if your little dog, Is otherwise a healthy dog, then I would start with just supplementing the diet with some extra fiber, just like you and I would do. Um, And so you can do that either by putting it's a little dog, so you're probably looking at putting like a tablespoon of cooked pumpkin, mixing that through the food every day, Um, or even you can use, you know, a half to a quarter of a teaspoon of something like Metamucil and push put that into the food, um, sometimes adding a bit of extra water onto the food. So if you have a dog who's not a big drinker and if they're predominantly eating dry food, then adding a bit of hot water onto the food um, can, you know, inadvertently just increase their water intake because they'll sort of go, oh, this is yeah. not yummy and smelly it and things like that. Much. I mean, it's there. She mm-hmm. doesn't eat much dry
3: food, but she doesn't drink much water either. Her yep. preference is either fresh meat or tin, tin food. Yeah. So,
2: yeah, so tin food will always have a higher water content, and so those dogs aren't, don't aren't going to need to drink as much water unless they're really exercising, because that you're okay. you're basically you know giving them seventy percent water and for thirty percent, uh, um, you know sort of dry matter in those sorts of foods. Um, if she's eating straight meat, though, that absolutely can be um, you know lack of fiber in that diet. So mixing some pumpkin, some cooked pumpkin into that can be really helpful, um, or a sprinkling yep. of um, metamucil or some other veggies, even you know peas, carrots, that sort of thing, um, can go a long way to helping just with the with the fiber so um, a straight meat diet obviously isn't going to be super well balanced for your dog so long term you can end up with some nutritional issues as well but most of the time we can um, adjust the the fecal consistency let's say by you know playing around with how much fiber we're giving them so we don't want it to be too soft Um, if that's happening then you back off on your fiber but if you're still finding it's too hard then just add some extra fiber in and if your dog's not used to eating things like pumpkin you might just have to go slow and work your way up to the tablespoon of you know tablespoon or two of um, pumpkin so you know start small so that they're not noticing it as much mixed in
3: Okay, yep. Okay. Yes, sounds good. I mean, if I eat it, she thinks it's good. It's a bit yeah. of what she has, even if it
0: is what she has. Yep, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, you're not eating dog bones, are you, Karen? That's not where no, this no, all
2: started.
0: <laughs> no. Just the pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> all right, sounds pretty good. Thanks, Karen, and best of luck with all of that. Cheryl Shaw is here, although you wouldn't know we haven't had a chance to catch up with Cheryl much <laughs> <laughs> this afternoon. Plenty, of course, coming in at Dr. Kimberly Earl uh, who's uh, doing a very good spot rate, by the way, free for her consultations today. <laughs> Good afternoon, Randy at Abberbane. Your two dogs are doing plenty of biting and scratching. What's going on there, Randy?
3: Yeah, I'm not too sure. Um, Constantly, like, they have a bath and everything. We'll take them to the um, grooming place. They get a bath, come home. And constantly, not actually biting, like, just chewing all the time and constantly scratching, um, like, doing Dr. Google and things like that. it, It could be a yeast infection and that, like.
2: Yeah, certainly can be, Um, although that's a little bit less likely if both dogs are doing it at the same time. Um, What are you using? Are you using something really good for flea and tick prevention for these dogs?
3: Yes,
2: yeah, we are. Yeah, one of the newer products.
3: Yeah, they don't have fleas or ticks. Okay. (laughs) Oh, yes.
2: Yeah, so I mean certainly certainly, yes. flea allergy dermatitis is still a possibility um, and mm-hmm. those dogs, again, may be less likely because that's a, that's a form of allergic skin disease, um, probably yes. less likely if they're both doing it. Um, I guess it could be related to, there's, there's lots of different things, so it could be related to um, how often they're getting bathed, what they're getting bathed in, if the um, groomer okay. is using something that's a bit too harsh on the skin or if they just have dry skin. If they're dogs that are outside a lot, um, they might be getting a little bit of, you know, sort of dry skin. And if they're not getting conditioned properly, that can um, sometimes help. And and there are certainly, you know, subclinical infections on the skin that will sometimes happen that will be itchy. So the dog starts to itch. Um, they start to bite and chew at themselves. That leaves the skin moist. And then the bacteria and the yeast can then overgrow because they like to grow where the skin is moist. And so that's, oh, that can, you know, compound the problem. Um, are you seeing any scabbing or crusting or redness on the skin
3: um maybe on the pores Mm -hmm. and that because they'll lick their pores as well yep but yeah um no scabbing or anything
2: okay yeah and like on a scale of one to ten where would you say they sit for itching if ten is the worst itching
3: oh they're probably about a five
2: okay both of them yeah yeah okay so that's still fairly itchy um, yeah. So, I mean, there's lots of things to do. You, could, you can certainly try, um, you know, next time you get them groomed, talk to the groomer about using a sensitive skin and make sure they're getting um, really well conditioned um, as well and rinsed off after that. Make sure yeah. that, um, you know, their bedding is nice and clean. And just make sure that with your flea and tick prevention that you are using, that they haven't fallen outside of the dosage range. You know, some dogs get a little bit of, you know, kilos creeping up there and you were previously yeah. using the 10 to 20 kilos the range and now, you know, one of them might have crossed into the 22 kilo range. And so that um, flea prevention may not be working as well. Um, and making sure that that we are using one of the newer generation products because there are certainly um, resistance issues to some of our older generation flea products. And so you can be applying it routinely, um, but not necessarily getting rid of everything. Um, we can certainly, there's, there's lots of issues with allergies and things like that. But again, if you've got both dogs who are both affected to the same degree we'd be looking something environmental that's that's triggering them you know and that's causing that okay. um so yeah so have a chat with your local vet too and make sure there's no sort of subtle um
1: infections cheryl have you got any suggestions from a bathing grooming standpoint yeah, certainly you need to make sure that the dogs number one are being bathed in something that's suitable for their skin type the other thing that just is coming across my mind as well are you using any um diffusers in the home no. no, okay, because some diffusers yeah. do cause dogs to become and cats to become quite itchy. But I would certainly be yeah. making sure that you're using a, um, a sensitive shampoo, something like your aloeveen, that's really um, it's quite settling for the skin. So it's oatmeal and aloe vera plant extract. So that really does help to cool the, the dogs down and, and just settle down that skin. So i would be trying that. You can also get some of the conditioner from that and use it at home in between your bathing, which could help as well. So I would be trying that. Okay, that sounds great. Thank you very much. No worries. Thank you. Good luck with it.
0: Yeah, all the best with all of that, Randy. And look, we we eventually find out, ladies, so we, we eventually get there and fi- figure out uh, some suggestions. It uh, might take us a bit of time. We get there. We do. Oh, thanks for that, Cheryl. That was wonderful. <laughs> two words we, we do? We do. We do.
1: We get there. <laughs> you know we what? Help.
0: Yeah, just for, just for that underwhelming response, I'm going to make you go straight into your frog topic for today. Now, no worries. We've got a bit of time. Okay. So. <laughs> All right. So we'll uh, fire up Cheryl. As you can tell, by the way, the, the because we're in the small studio, the two ladies are hovering around the the one microphone, so it's a bit disjointed. That's probably why. But Cheryl, hop to it.
1: Okay. So we're going to be talking about Frog Week. And it's happening from the 11th to the 20th of November. And we're counting frogs across Australia. Remember just a few weeks ago we were counting birds? And it's all a part of the Citizen Science Project. And this one in particular for the frog count is done by the Australian Museum. And you can jump on board and go and download download the app for the frog it and you can start counting now sometimes we don't even know what frogs we've got but when you download that app you'll be able to um, record the frog that you're hearing and they'll be able to when you submit it they'll be able to identify what frog it is now Kimberly you've taken part in this before
2: Yeah, so I um, downloaded the app earlier in the year because I was hearing some frogs in my local area that I hadn't heard before. Um, I think just because it's been so wet.
0: That was a cane toad, don't worry about it.
2: (laughs) It wasn't a cane toad. So I downloaded the app, I dutifully recorded, um, you're supposed to do a minimum of 20 seconds, Mm -hmm. and then you submit the recording, you make yourself a little profile, you submit the recording. And I was really surprised because they gave me back... Um, they verified two separate frogs in my area. One was the common eastern froglet and the other one was the spotted marsh frog. Um, and it was really fun. And my daughter, you know, we were out, it was an evening taking the dog for a walk and we stopped and listened. And um, and now we go back to that same area and you can still sort of hear them. So it's a really interesting thing. They also give suggestions of what other frogs might be. So you can sort of sit there and listen to the recordings that they've got on the app and try
1: to see if you can match it to what you've got and things yeah. like that. So it's lots of really good information information on the app. And the thing is too that they send you back an email and then they mark on the map of Australia what frogs were sighted were or you know heard and recorded. So you're actually making part of this um, a whole wide um, picture of what's going on with the frog world. And it's really interesting because uh, as I said some of us don't even know that we've got frogs in our backyard and we hear the call so we can go and record that. Some people are seeing like the frog scats around. There's different things um, that you need to just make sure that you are uh, Uh, Doing it not just in your home like you do, Kimberly. You can go out for a walk and hear it. Try to get as many recordings as you can. Last year there were 39,000 recordings of frogs, so you know that's a lot. But if we all get behind these, uh, you know, fun programs, we can also learn, but also we can help get that, collect that data and get things really happening um, with that frog ID.
0: Amazing how technology is just. Um, assisting with all of these types of of activities as well, like you record the frog and then they'll just be able to ID it for you. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think it's a wonderful program to um, be involved in and um, you you learn along and it's fun and, yeah, educational.
0: To a new RFM 103.7, a little bit more Pet Chat on the run-up to 1 o'clock and uh, back into it now. Good afternoon, Glenn at North Rothbury. Your 14-year-old cat is losing an alarming amount of weight. What's going on there, Glenn? Well, hi. Uh,
3: Yeah, I just wanted some advice. I... um uh, he's been losing weight for probably a couple of months, maybe a kilo and a half or two kilos. He's yep. quite a
2: big cat, and um, and he's um, now becoming a skinny cat. Is he? Yeah,
3: sure is. Yeah. Sure. And I thought the easiest option might have been a a tablet, which I'd attempted and with not much success. <laughs> <laughs> and they did a really good job and got it down his um, throat okay and yep. a good tablet the last three months
2: yeah sure
3: and he just hasn't changed hasn't difference. changed yeah, yeah so now uh, and he just keeps doing that
2: is he hungry does he still want to eat
3: yeah yeah he does
2: yeah is he eating more than usual or the same amount he used to
3: yeah, the same as he did when he was losing it before yep. yeah and
2: what about water intake how much water do you think he's drinking
3: i never seen him drink. There's okay. Sort of,
2: we've got an acre and there's things around with... Around, water. Look, yeah. But you're not around. seeing him drinking? No. Yeah, okay. Um, and do you see vomit around? Like is he, no. is he bringing up hairballs or other vomits? No, no, great. Okay, so the most common things um, that we would be expecting in your 14-year-old cat, um, it's the, the the trifecta of like old cat disease, thyroid disease, kidney disease, and diabetes mellitus. Um, those are the most common things that will cause an elderly cat um, and your cat at 14 would be considered senior, um, that will cause them to still be eating, um, not necessarily acting unwell, um, and be losing weight. Um, some of those things, like often thyroid cats and diabetes cats will actually increase the amount of food that they're looking for. They're, they're restless mm-hmm. and they're crying and they're acting like they're hungry, but not always. Um, so I would go, I think if you've already tried the worming tablet, I would go back to your vet and make an appointment um, and And you're going to want to um, have some blood work done on your cat because most of those things will be relatively easily identifiable based on some blood work and um, probably some urine sampling as well. Um, And two out of three of those diseases are really quite um, treatable. Thyroid disease is actually relatively easily treatable. Um, Diabetes is a little bit more challenging to treat, but is a treatable condition. And kidney disease, although we don't have um, specific treatments to reverse kidney disease, there's lots of things we can do to help manage them um, and to keep them going for a nice long sort of time. Um, So, you know, as as... um, as a professional, that's what I would say. Go back to your vet, make an appointment. Um, expect to get a little bit of blood work and some testing done, and um, try to work out what's going on there. Because there'll be, you know, it's probably one of those three things going on.
0: All right. Best of luck with that, Shane. A uh, uh, Glen rather. And now, Shane and Millfield. Uh, we're looking at your West Highland Terrier. What's happening there, Shane? Um, yeah. Hello, guys. Uh, yeah, I've got a fifteen-year-old Westie. He's um, he's had a condition for a while with a collapsing trachea mm-hmm. um, he he's still eating well um and he drinks well i see the easy the, and then he is on medication for it I, um um yeah it's just when he has a drink he, he really gets quite gets
2: going he, yeah he starts he's coughing
0: drinking, he's drinking good amounts i mean he's yeah. helping to I, I just yeah i'm just feeling Sort it's, of it, Is there anything else I can yeah. do to sort of support him during this time? Sure. Yeah.
2: So it's a, it's a tricky condition. So basically what happens in um, the collapsing trachea sort of syndrome, we now tend to call it dynamic airway disease. But basically the cartilage rings that are holding his airway, his windpipe open, as he gets older in lots of little dogs, it's a predominantly a small breed dog um, condition, the cartilage rings become soft and they sort of start to collapse down on themselves. And so if you can imagine you've taken a pipe and it's just sort of like smooshed itself down. And so when your dog's breathing... Um, then it feels like he's got a bit of an obstruction there. So they start to cough to try to force the air out through that. Um, And then the coughing tends to become sort of habitual, like coughing leads to coughing. So the more they cough, the, the more they need to cough. Um, and a lot of these dogs actually end up with, you know, airway um, uh, inflammation and things like that, um, compounded by the fact that a lot of these little dogs will also have some heart murmur, um, you know, underlying heart disease and things as well. So um, with the collapsing trachea syndrome, the, the thing that's important to know, I guess, is that a lot of these dogs will be triggered to cough by either excitement, anxiety, or something yeah. like drinking cold water, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, And it's not, for most dogs, it's not a major drama if they're just, you know, having a drink, they're having a trigger, and then they have a little bit of a coughing fit, um, if that sort of settles down relatively quickly. But it's those dogs where they're coughing, they just can't get it back under control, or they're waking up in the middle of the night coughing. And in a lot of those dogs, we do tend to put them on some cough suppressants, sometimes bronchodilators, like asthma treatments, to try to open up the airways lower down um, as well, because there is some evidence that those lower down airways can also be affected, Um, um, there are surgical procedures that can be done to sort of open the, the trachea and things like that. But they're they're specialist level procedures and they do require quite a lot of ongoing maintenance and things like that as well. So it's not I've never had um, a patient go for that sort of option. Not that it's not a great option, but it's just not super um, easily attainable here in Newcastle and it requires a lot of follow up. So I think it's it's not for everybody. Um in, you know, in our practice, we would just want to be be talking, you know, with you uh, frequently about how things are going. And if you're finding that the medications aren't working, there's often other things that we'll try or add on just to try to keep the dog sort of calm. Knowing what the triggers is can sometimes be helpful. Um, so making sure we're not putting ice cold water in the in the bowl, because that tends to sort of trigger it more than just sort of room temperature or tepid water, um, if the dog will eat that or drink that. Um, trying to keep their activity level, you know, so that they're not sort of doing doing really high energy activity where they're getting themselves into a a state where they can't get their coughing back under control. Um, And we have some dogs that, you know, they just end up on cough suppressants you know, particularly of an evening, so that they can get some sleep, and so that you can get some sleep. If it's getting to that point, definitely go in and have a chat with your with your vet, and just make sure you're on sort of all the um, potential options to make sure that everybody is is doing as best as we can. But it's not really reversible, unfortunately. So we just have to sort of manage it to the best of our abilities.
0: All right, thank you very much, Shane. All of our callers as well, Dr. Kimberly, thank you so much for your time, and thank also you. Cheryl Shaw. Thank you for coming in, frogs and all. Another pet chat back your way next uh, Wednesday afternoon after the news. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.